Welcome to the Two Brothers and Your Sports Podcast. I'm your co-host, Arif. And I'm your co-host, Arsh. And today on the show, we're going to talk about the MLB opening and the season on opening day. Then we're going to talk about the Masters getting underway, the whole storyline with Tiger Woods and who we think is going to win. And then finally, an interview with journalist from Yes Network and Forbes Sports Money, Wayne McDonald. It's been an exciting opening day in the MLB. And we'll start off with the Yankees game, probably one of the more memorable ones. In his first debut for the Yankees, Josh Donaldson gets a walk-off uh, single in the uh, 11th inning, which is a big deal. And then you look at the games from yesterday and from today. It's been a really great opening day. The Cubs win, the Royals win, the Guardians lose their first game ever. Um, the Cardinals win, the Mets win. But the Angels didn't get off to a great start. They had only one run scored. The Braves, too, losing Freddie Freeman looked like a big deal because they lost to the lowly Reds. Uh, the Padres also lost. So I think it's been a great day, a great couple days of baseball, and it's going to be exciting to see how this season plays out. And my two picks to win the World Series, my pick for the AL is probably the um, the Blue Jays, and my pick for the NL is probably the Dodgers because, it's, in my opinion, those two are the most dangerous teams. So let's just go over the, some of the biggest games. Obviously, the first one that was started was played this season was the Cubs Brewers, and that was a really good game. The Cubs ended up winning by one run. Um, and then you talked about a bunch of the a bunch of the games. Another game that was really good was the Mets and Nationals. Um, and we saw Juan Soto um, hit the home run. He's that's the only run that they scored. And then everything else was just the Mets the whole day. And so. You can expect, I expect the Mets to be, I think, in between 500 and 1,000. And then, obviously, you talked about the Braves losing, and Matt Olson doesn't seem to be making up for that uh, Freddie Freeman loss, which, that's I guess that's why he was so highly touted in free agency. The Astros won, which, and they beat the Angels, who are my pick to coming out of the AL, to make it to the World Series. If only if Shohei Otani and Mike Trout can stay healthy. This is a prove-it year, one of his most important years of his career. He's been hurt so many times, and Mike Trout's the number two hitter. Shohei's number one, and Shohei is started this game. So if all if both of them can stay healthy, it's the best one-two punch in baseball. I think even over the Dodgers, even over Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, even any other team. Uh, Shohei and Mike Trout are the best hitting combination and defensive combination in the MLB. The Yankees-Red Sox game, that was a really good game. You mentioned Josh Donaldson in the 11th inning, and I thought something that was pretty cool was that Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falifa were acquired in the same trade. And so I thought it was pretty funny how former teammates for the Twins actually, um, uh, Kiner-Falifa was on second base and came home on that RBI uh, single by Josh Donaldson. So I think that was something that was pretty cool. Um, and then the Yankees are looking, they're not looking that great. Their pitching, we saw another weakness was their pitching. They, they loaded up on the batting again. Giancarlo Stanton hit an insane home run. Um, Anthony Rizzo had an upper decker. So Anthony, Anthony Rizzo has been a really, really important first baseman for them, especially as a lefty in that lineup, that's been super important. The Phillies beating the Athletics, not really that big deal for an A's. They lost for the A's. They lost Matt Olson, um, but I mean, excuse me, Matt Chapman. But the Phillies are the Phillies came out hot and they it stayed like that. And then you, you talked about the Braves actually. Ronald Acuna is probably going to be one of the picks to be the AL MVP. So I think that he's he's someone you guys you you guys have to keep your eye on and. I, I think that the Braves will do well. I think it was a fluke that they lost their first game. The first day of the Masters have passed, and it's been a great day at the Masters. The Masters, I, I've i really gotten more into it the past couple years, and it's a very, and when you watch it, it looks very boring, but it's actually a really, golf in, in this type of fashion, where it's just back and forth action, is just really interesting. Sanjay M is leading everyone. He's five under after the first day, and he he's been great. He's twenty. He's one stroke. He's winning by one stroke so far. Yeah, but he's that's because it's the first day. But he I know. he is um he was a twenty nineteen PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. He's twenty four years old, and he's a great guy. He's from South Korea, so I'm I'm cheering for him. I think that he's going to do great. He's really young, but he's also very good. He hits very long, but he's great at putting as well. And he in the in um in round one 
in the front nine, he did not have a single bogey. In the back nine, he had two bogeys, but he had one eagle and one birdie. And in the front in the front nine, he had four straight, three straight birdies to start it off, and then one birdie on um, seven on the seventh hole. So he's been great. And then you look at Cameron Smith, who's four under. He was leading for a long time. He was six under at his best point. And he started off with a double bogey, which is pretty crazy in my opinion. But he got better, and he he was great as well. But right now, he dropped down from under six, I believe, at the 16th hole to now four under. So I think he's great too. And then you look at, there's a couple people tied at third. Dustin Johnson, one of the big ones, the guy who wrote, the guy who rewrote the history books, who won the Masters in 2020. He's three under. He's been great. And remember, this is all day one. The best thing for the Masters is to be lurking in the background. And then when it counts, boom, you go right in. And I think that's what that's what people like Tiger. I don't I don't know if Tiger is going to be able to get a good attempt on this, but I think those guys are probably the most dangerous, not the ones in front because they have the most pressure on them. But there is um, a lot of people that are great tied at three under, and then you look at um, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is one under. The fact that he's able to play is great. He he's a, obviously one of the best golfer of all time, and the fact that he's able to play at this level is great. What I what I really wanted to touch on was the fact that Tiger Woods actually made an appearance. He's been the past two tournaments. He's come like obviously Augusta and the tournament right before that. He showed up, practiced, and this time he it looked like he was actually getting into the swing of things. No pun intended. But he was actually trying, he was getting into the rhythm of golf, coming back, and he was actually, his practice rounds were almost as full as an actual match at the Masters, which was incredible. And if you guys watched him, you saw that he was actually trying, he, he looked like, not looked like the old Tiger, but he did not look like a Tiger that had just got an injury and gone to a car crash like several months earlier. So... That's great to see him back. Honestly, I think he's one under par. I think eventually he's going to drop a little, I mean, like drop strokes a little bit. So I think he'll go um, maybe two or three under and end the tournament at that. But I think Hideki Matsuyama is a name to watch. Um, definitely, he just won, he won the green jacket last year. Um, and we talked about that on the podcast. And then obviously, uh, Rory McIlroy, that who you mentioned, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Cope, I'm surprised he's three over. He's not normally that low. Golf is a sport about longevity and endurance. It doesn't seem like endurance, but it's all about mental toughness and endurance. The people that are even one under, one over, as long as they don't let that get to their head, they're easily they can easily make a run to the top five. Sung Jae Im is representing South Korea at such a high level. He's been playing with so much heart, so much grit, and he's again all these younger guys are really showing out recently. Hideki Matsuyama, all from Asia, and they've been really they've been young taking over the sport of golf. And so I think it's not more now. It's not really about those people from the UK, from the US. Obviously, Tiger Woods is a huge storyline, a huge name coming back. But all these younger guys are making an appearance and making a run in the top five. How golf has changed, how some of the oldest guys are, some of the best performing oldest guys are around 30 years old. And then you have the youngsters that keep just coming in and they just take out the veterans if they're better. And there are, there's such a high demand. So like you said, we can't wait for the second day and third day of the Masters. And it's going to be so fun to watch. And congrats to everyone who's done well so far and best of luck to everyone wayne mcdonald has been involved in education media coaching and finance for two decades a former financial analyst and accountant at madison square garden wayne is a business of baseball contributor for forbes sports money and the yes network mr mcdonald is also a highly sought after commentator on issues regarding the game of baseball and has appeared on many tv channels He's currently a teaching assistant professor of sport of sports administration at UNC Chapel Hill, and he's also a college baseball and softball analyst for the ACC Network. Mr. McDonald, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, gentlemen, thank you for having me on. I, it's my honor to be with you today. Thank, thank you. you. And tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up. Well, a great question. Uh, I grew up in New York City. Okay. I was born and raised in the Bronx. I grew up seven miles from Yankee Stadium. Okay. So I spent my childhood at Yankee Stadium, uh, but grew up playing all different sports. 
mostly baseball, basketball, soccer, uh, but re uh, really gravitated towards those three. Uh, just loved playing sports, you know, uh, yeah. did, did everything. Uh, you know, I, I went to a prep school called Iona Preparatory. Okay. And I had the good fortune of being able to be a two-sport athlete there. I moved on to college and graduate school. I continued at Iona. I went to Iona College for my undergraduate in finance and I did my MBA in management. But I always knew that I loved sports. Yeah. And I always wanted to do something in sports. Uh, it went beyond the passion for me. I just loved everything about it. It was in I could everything about reading, writing. Anything I could get my hands on. And I was encouraged at home. I had two wonderful parents and a brother and sister. We lived in that world where, you know, our dad was a, a big uh, basketball player and played baseball and different sports. And we were always exposed. But most importantly, uh, growing up, we were just encouraged to participate in everything, uh, play everything. And there was no specialization or, yeah, yeah. you know, there was none of that. It was more go out, have fun, play with your friends, be creative, be imaginative, but most importantly, have fun. And that has stayed with me to this day. Uh, you know, I've worked, I've worked with professional athletes at Madison Square Garden. Now I work with college athletes at the University of North Carolina and I do a lot of writing and research and television and uh, on, on baseball in particular. And I had the great fortune of working with extraordinary students at UNC Chapel Hill. And I also get to call college baseball and softball games on the ACC network. So I've taken my passion and love of sports, particularly baseball, and turned it into something. And uh, I just love what I do. That's just incredible. And you mentioned you played sports, but how and when did you get interested in journalism? I fell into it by accident, to be honest with you. So I, I took a lot of pride when I was in school, uh, always writing. I had fantastic uh, teachers, particularly when I went to Iona Prep, yeah. uh, that really focused on writing skills. And uh, I was at a cocktail party in Manhattan a number of years ago, and the executive editor at Forbes was there. And we just started up a conversation. And he said he was looking for some pretty smart people who knew sports to start writing. And almost 12 years later, I've been writing for Forbes ever since, which has led to so many different writing assignments and projects. I've written textbook chapters. I've written for the Yes Network, uh, for in scripts for different events, um, you name it. Uh, the goal one day is to get my own baseball book out there. Uh, but like, you know, uh, research articles and, and op-ed pieces. So I have a lot of different writing projects throughout the years. But really, uh, it started when I was probably your age. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, uh, just uh, it, it, it was about always reading, always trying to find something new, how to educate yourself and really just following your passion and creating some type of audience. Now it takes some time, but you know, uh, it really started at a very young age for me and I had great mentors and a great family that supported me. And to this day, it's still the same. Yeah. And you talked about when you were growing up, you played sports recreationally. Was there any moment where you thought that you wanted to pursue a career in as a pro like baseball or basketball player i think what happens uh you get to a certain level i was i was a good athlete uh, i i played for a very long time but when i got to high school you realize that you're either going to play for fun or that that's really because you don't have the prospects the way it is so I just chose it to play for fun at the high school. I, I, I actually ran my own semi-pro baseball team for a number of years, uh, traveled around playing with them, coaching. I, I was a high school baseball coach for a very long time. So for me, I, I realized that I was a good athlete, but I wasn't an extraordinary athlete. And I wanted to find different avenues 
where I can maintain that passion and be involved. I got into coaching. Uh, I definitely at the high school level and the youth level as well. Uh, but, you know, for, you know, well after college, I was still playing very actively uh, in semi-pro leagues and doing stuff like that. It might not have been professional or at the collegiate level, but enough to maintain that level of enthusiasm. And then after when I might couldn't play anymore due to injuries, I got into running okay. and uh, ran the New York City Marathon, ran a lot of half marathons. And so for me, athletics has been a major part of my life uh, at every step of my life. So it was just a matter of finding that that way, but also I guess for me, I feel like I'm still 13 years old at heart yeah. <laughs> uh, because I just had the same passion that I did for sports, particularly baseball, when I was 13 years old. Yeah. And tell our listeners about what your job at UNC entails and what you teach. So right now I'm a teaching assistant professor at uh, U- University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And prior to that, I spent 17 years at New York University, where I was the academic chair and clinical professor of sport management there. So right now I'm teaching sport finance and economics. I teach an introduction to sport administration course. I advise all of the students in the undergraduate program. I work very closely with the student athletes, uh, with their travel, you know, the academics, obviously, and, you know, advising and mentoring And then on top of that, you know, I do work uh, for the ACC network uh, calling uh, as a color analyst uh, for the UNC uh, baseball and softball games. But right now in the classroom, it's a lot of sport finance, economics, uh, management in, in, in the business of sports, which to me are just fun topics to talk about with so much going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're wearing a UNC sweatshirt. And while we're on the topic of UNC, how do you feel about the Duke UNC game that just happened? I am elated. <laughs> now, you guys might feel a little differently. <laughs> yeah. feel a little. I wanted to wear my Jason Tatum jersey today, but I thought that'd bring too much shame to me, so I didn't bring it. I didn't uh, wear it. He, here's the one thing I'll say, guys. Uh, the Duke UNC rivalry is probably the best in sports next to the Yankees and Red Sox. And there should be a lot of pride by both sides because it is so evenly matched. It is basketball excellence. We're, we're, we're separated by eight miles, uh, but there was far more similarities to these extraordinary programs than one would think. And being, uh, this is, I've only been in this part of the country for about seven months now, so I'm okay, really okay. new, but I also did grow up uh, a Tar Heel fan. Yeah. Uh, so, I grew, so I've been a, a, a lifelong fan of the uh, Tar Heels, uh, their basketball program. But I say this with great sincerity. Both teams are extraordinary. Last night's game was probably one of the best in the rivalry that I have seen. But you can, there is no such thing as a loser when Duke and UNC play. Uh, it's just sad that uh, one team had to win over the other. And regardless of my, my rooting allegiance to UNC, I have I've always had profound respect and admiration for Coach Krzyzewski, the Duke program, because they're first class and what they do in terms of their athletes and and how it's a family. So I I look beyond the the record and look at the type of character of the program and and Duke under Coach Krzyzewski has been downright extraordinary. And even though I'm very happy today, (laughs) um, I'm a little worried for tomorrow night, uh, but I'm just. It, it was just extraordinary. It was an extraordinary game. I read a stat to the, yesterday, actually, that Duke and UNC, they played 100 times, and it's like 50 wins for both of them. Yeah. So just to that point, it's, it's an incredible right. Well, think of this, guys. So uh, Coach Krzyzewski, yes, he lost his last game at Cameron to the Tar Heels, and obviously last night in the national semifinal in the Final Four. But you know what his record is career-wise against the UNC over 42 years? No idea. 50 and 50. Wow. So what does that tell you? It just tells you how magical the rivalry is. And I, I'm just, I, I guess for me, I'm just very proud and honored to have a ringside seat to it as a sports administration faculty working with extraordinary student athletes at UNC. 
And I'm just very proud of our student athletes today, of all of our sports, because all of our sports, men's and women's, are extraordinary in my eyes. And then you mentioned how you got into writing for Forbes Sports Money, but how did you get into writing for Yes Network? Oh, that was that. You know what it was? People just started seeing my stuff. All right. You know, I, I think that the thing that I, I would give you, to you guys as advice, you just keep plugging. You never know who's going to look at your stuff. And, and that's how it happened. Like, a lot of my writing is Yankee-based yeah. uh, just because of my background and everything. But, you know, I think uh, from June until the end of last season, I must have put out, a you know, 10 to 12 articles for the S Network. Hopefully we can do it again this season. Uh, I'm trying to balance out my responsibilities at UNC, my Forbes, my broadcasting stuff. But hopefully, hopefully to do that again. But really a lot of my stuff, has been just trying to be positive, put good things out there, work hard, uh, and have good people read it and pay attention to it. So uh, it's a lot of work, a lot of hard work, uh, but I love it. You know, I'm yeah. already thinking, okay, what do I want to write tomorrow? And and also think of uh, the, the readers and what, what can I help educate the readers on uh, if they stumble across my article on Twitter or LinkedIn or on Google. But really, I just like putting quality stuff out there and having great conversations with fans and uh, highly intelligent young men like you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And as you can see there and over there, we're huge Yankees fans too. So what are your, how do you think they're going to do this year? What are your thoughts? Well, there's a few things I think of. Like right now I have Aaron Judge on the mind uh, just yeah. because we need to get that uh, long-term contract extension kind of worked out in the next few days, to be honest with you. We're probably looking at opening day on Thursday, so we're going to have to get that worked out. Yeah. Uh, the big thing with the Yankees that concerns me is they're very right-handed, heavy in their lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's why Anthony Rizzo is going to be very important. Yeah. Uh, they need a little more flexibility. They need to you know, run the bases a little bit better uh, because they just can't rely heavily on the home runs, even though they have an amazing lineup in terms of power and everything. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, be a little more creative on the base path, try to manufacture runs, capitalize on situations. And the pitching's got to be really solid beyond Garrett Cole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a very uh, competitive division. Toronto got better. Boston got better. Tampa got better. Uh, So, Every game that they're going to play in the AL East is going to be almost like a playoff game. Uh, But I have faith in the team that they're going to perform well. And here's my thing. If Aaron Judge is healthy and he can play in, say, a minimum 145, 150 games, don't be surprised if he wins the AL MVP this year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we would love for that to happen. That's, but I mean, I, right now they offered him a seven year, I think max seven year, $30 million per year deal. That's what I was reading. Um, but they're still saying that there's so many mixed reports of, Oh, they were close to a deal and now there's not close to a deal. So what is there? What do you think? Do you think they'll get him down to contract? Uh, I think so. I, I think, I think they will, uh, because I, here's, here's the thing. And I wrote it in my piece for Forbes this week. The phrase that I used is mutually beneficial. Uh, I think Aaron Judge is cut from the cloth of Yankee greats, uh, particularly from my generation with Don Manley, probably from uh, your generation's little Derek Jeter more. I would would say. And to me, I feel that he is like in that line. uh, And He's a great ambassador for the game. Uh, he's great with the fans. He has a heart. Uh, he's an amazing player. Uh, and I think both the Yankees and him know that this is a good relationship. But in the same token, there's a lot of money being spent in Major League Baseball. And Aaron Judge hasn't had that big payday yet. And, and rightfully so, he deserves a contract that represents his talent and overall value to the New York Yankees and in particular Major League Baseball as well. Yeah, and I just read an article on Forbes too saying that the Yankees are valued at $6 billion now and there's no salary cap in baseball like there is in basketball or football. So they have a lot of money to spend on Aaron Judge and I think that something could come out of it in the next couple of days. So you think of it from this perspective, guys. You want to be... 
you know, the Yankees right now, the, the two big players that the Yankees have on their payroll for the foreseeable future are Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, but yeah, thirty, yeah. but the Marlins will pick up about thirty million dollars of Giancarlo Stanton's contract, which which helps a lot. Yeah. So I wrote about it this week for Forbes, and you can check it out. It's up on my Twitter feed and everything. And we're followers of each other now, so this yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he'll get an average annual value of about $35 million. Uh, I'm in the neighborhood. He's probably going to get anywhere between a five to seven year contract extension. So I'm saying if you had to hold me to a number, it wouldn't surprise me to see him get a seven year, $250 million contract, which would bring his average annual value slightly higher than what Mike Trout is making right now in terms of average annual value. Yeah. Wow. And the past few days, the Yankees have made so many acquisitions and even the past few months, such as Isaiah Kinner-Falefa, Josh Donaldson, uh, Jose Trevino and Miguel Castro. So what are your thoughts on those acquisitions? Do they make the team any better? Well, defensively, yes. I, I think uh, what we all saw last year with the Yankees is they needed a little bit of help at shortstop. Uh, their, de- their, de- their infield defense needed an improvement, uh, particularly in that role. So I think we have an upgrade at shortstop. A little more pressure on Glaber Torres now as a second baseman because the advanced metrics like defensive run saved and ultimate zone rating did not portray him well at shortstop. So maybe uh, we can get a little more consistency out of him at second base. But also and he had this, so many errors last year, too. Yeah, but the one thing you want to look at, guys, beyond the errors is the two defensive stats. Well, three, I'll say. One is defensive run saved. Another is ultimate zone rating. And another is outs above average. So those are always three good stats to look at defensively, along with errors as well. Yeah. Um, so you're right. You're absolutely right. It was a, definitely a tough year for Glaber Torres at shortstop, maybe uh, seconds better. Uh, Josh Donaldson needs to be healthy. Yeah, That's a big thing. Uh, DJ LeMay, who's going to be playing all over the place. Anthony Rizzo is, uh, is a very nice defensive upgrade uh, at first base. He's a gold glove, perennial, you know, three-time gold glove, platinum glove winning first baseman. Really fits this Yankees offense and defensive nicely. Uh, and I'm very happy that he's with the Yankees because he definitely fills a, a multitude of roles, both in, in clubhouse leadership, offensively being a left-handed batter, and then clearly defensively. So they've made some defensive upgrades that I think are going to be very positive. It might not be the Carlos Correa, Trevor yeah. Story type of stuff, which everyone wanted. But I think, remember, we have Anthony Volpe, who's a shortstop prospect a couple of years away. And he could be pretty special as well. So um, for me, uh, the best thing I would look at, if they can sign Aaron Judge long-term and have a contract extension for long-term, that'd be great. They made some small, significant upgrades in defense. Uh, and the Josh Donaldson, if he's healthy, he could be that edge that the Yankees have definitely been missing. Personally, I, I like the move for Josh Donaldson, but I'm also pretty upset because Gio Urshela was my favorite player because if you remember a couple of years back when LeMayu came out and he was a star and then they had Talkman who also started emerging and Gio Urshela. I just love Gio Urshela from the start because I'm a third baseman and he defensively, he's really good. And offensively, last year he wasn't yeah. great, but two years ago he was pretty good. So I well, liked him as a third baseman. But think of it from this perspective. I, I liked his energy. You also felt very comfortable with him on defense. Now, the defensive metrics might tell a little bit of a different story, but I always felt that he was going to be a maximum effort ball player, really work hard, yeah. uh, perform well. Uh, but I, I guess what the Yankees were looking for uh, with Josh Donaldson uh, was a little pop, a little more of a vocal you know, the Yankees as a ball coach could be a little quiet, you know, yeah. um, where sometimes that works very well. And sometimes you need someone to you know, motivate the team in a different way. And hopefully Josh Donaldson's that ball player. But the key thing that we have to look at, he's got to be healthy. And I think there's a lot of ifs if, with the Yankees. If Josh Donaldson's healthy, wow, that's going to be great. Um, if the Yankees infield defense is improved, wow, that's going to be great. 
but they also have to cut down on their strikeouts. They have to manufacture runs in a little bit more of a creative way, taking the extra base and moving the runners around, can't leave runs in scoring position, and they can't rely heavily on the home run, even though we love seeing Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton hit and Joey Gallo hit a lot of home runs, but they can't strike out that much. We need to see the Yankees become a little more dynamic and creative, and I think they will. I, I definitely feel that they will. But the big thing is, let's lock Aaron Judge down. Yeah, and you mentioned runners in scoring position. I mean, last year, every time, almost, I mean, not almost every inning, but many times, they would, like, the bases would be colored on the TV because there's still runners on the on the bases. And they would just either strike out or fly out or just get out. They couldn't even uh, bat runners in from second or third, and in, uh, like, in late game. The Yankees had last year, if we could summarize it, clearly we're not, we're not going to do a crazy deep dive on it. There was like three outcomes that the Yankees had last year, home runs, strikeouts, and walks. Yeah. Uh, and that's how their offense was built. And we saw many games where it worked very well. Uh, but when you get into postseason play, you have to be multifaceted and multi-talented and multi-dimensional. And I, I felt that last year the Yankees were a little bit of a one-dimensional ball club where they relied a lot on the home run. Yeah. Where I think they realized, hey, we have a real talented roster. We have a lot of outstanding ball players. We got to use a few different skills and not just rely on hitting home runs and striking out. Maybe moving runners on base and taking the extra base and Hopefully that's the, the type of baseball we're going to see beginning uh, this week from the Yankees. And then final thing about the Yankees. What do you think about that year where the Yankees fans always say we would have made it to the World Series if the Astros didn't cheat with their garbage can banging steel signing, yeah. like so, steel signs. Stealing, yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? That is a fantastic question, guys. Uh, you know, it's a tough question because there's it, it's you know that you don't know. I, I think that the honest answer is yes, we feel cheated. I think all fans feel cheated in that case because we bought into the Houston Astros being a real quality team. Yeah. But Aaron Judge lost the most valuable player to Jose Altuve in that year. And if you look at Aaron Judge, he had a career year in 2017. So I, I, I'm saddened that. It went that way. Uh, but we can't say, hey, if the Yankees made the World Series, they would have won it because we, we have to, they would have had a great chance. Don't get me wrong. Um, absolutely yeah. would have had a great chance. But uh, it would be unfair for us to say that, you know, they got robbed of an opportunity to participate and compete in the World Series. It's probably a better way of saying it from, from my point of view. Um, and it's very sad because uh, Astros won. And, uh, we all know what happened as a result of that. Yeah, and to be fair, the Astros were still a great team without the sign stealing. And in the World Series, a lot of the players that confessed to actually doing it said that none of them used the garbage can in the World Series. And when you play it back, there's no garbage can. So they might have just wanted just off pure, like, get, like, talent just on the team. Stealing talent yeah. on the roster, yeah. Well, I, I think the one thing that we know is that there was outstanding talent up and down that roster. And it's almost like the steroid debate that we can talk about where some of these athletes did not need to use it because they're so talented. In the case of the Astros, there was a lot of talent on that roster, and there's still a lot of talent on that roster. Yeah. And, you know, you're always, and you're just always looking for that competitive advantage. And, cheating's never going to win yeah. you know I, to me it's a short-term gain for a long-term loss and for here until lord knows how long we're going to look back at that 2017 world series and so it's going to be tainted uh we're not going to have that warm feeling about other teams that have won the world series in the past which is very sad because I remember watching those games thinking that this, this is a fantastic ball club. And I was very happy uh, to see them win it because of their talent. And now I definitely think differently. Yeah. And you mentioned that I, the way you put it in the beginning where you said they def, the Yankees definitely would have had a chance. I like that. I prefer that than saying the Yankees would have won the world series if the Astros didn't sign steel. I think that's a lot better way of putting it. Well, think of it this way too. Uh, 
there were a lot of people that thought Duke was going to beat North Carolina in, in the national semifinals. But here's the beauty of sports, and you guys know it better than anyone. It's when you get on that field, that court, that ice, anything can happen on any given day. That's why we love sports more than anything else. Highly unpredictable, natural, authentic drama. So for me, I, I, I'll always kind of position it in, from this perspective. They would have had a great chance to compete and possibly win a World Series. I, I will never go and say they would have won the World Series because you have to play the games. Uh, but definitely they would have had a really good chance to be a very competitive team in the October Classic in 2017. And one, while we're on the sign-stealing topic, um, the Yankees actually, they, they hired Carlos Beltran yes. to be their, one of the broadcast analysts for Yes Network, which obviously you work for Yes Network. And Aaron Judge put out, a, I think he made it, he said a quote today, actually, where he was like, he seemed like he was over the, the sign stealing thing. And he was like, I just want to meet with Carlos Beltran. I don't want him to address it at all. So, I mean, that attitude certainly seems like it's positive for the Yankees locker room. I, I you know what it is. I, I think you guys are right. Um, I, I think it comes from the perspective that it, it hurts. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think you're athletes. And you know what, how much hard work you put into your practices and your, you know, off the field, off the court, off the ice activities and in the, the long preparation. And to find out that someone uh, didn't do it with, with the right uh, character and integrity, it hurts a lot. And those are hard feelings to get over, uh, regardless of who we are. Uh, and I do believe many of the Yankees worked very hard and they feel as if an opportunity was taken away from them. Uh, and sometimes adults need to have a quiet moment, sit down and, and have an honest conversation. And if you're, if you can have that um, honest conversation and clear the air and move on in a very positive and productive way, that's all we can ask for. Um, but uh, you know, the, 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 you know, it's, you always hear the phrase, we can forgive, but we don't forget. And I and I think some of the Yankees will be more than I, I think they will forgive Carlos Beltran. Now he is an analyst on the S network, but no one's ever going to forget 2017. But we might. But you will forgive. And I think it takes a very big person uh, to do something like that, given how hard it is uh, and what happened uh, during that postseason. So who do you think will win the World Series this year? Oh, you're asking a tough question today, guys. <laughs> uh, um, see, I'm—I'll be the first one to tell you I'm never—I'm—I'm I'm not big on the, the uh, prognostications, just because it—I I love watching the beauty of it. The Dodgers are gonna be tough in the National League. <laughs> I, sure. I, I, and I they've made so many big acquisitions too. The, the, I think the Dodgers are a special team. I think if. Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom are healthy. The Mets are going to be a very special team in the National League. Uh, the Braves are the defending world champions, yeah. so they're going to be great. Um, the, the Padres, if they get healthy with Fernando Tatis Jr., they're going to be an exciting team. So I think there's probably about a half dozen teams in the NL that are legitimate contenders right now. I think the Dodgers are the four the, at the forefront of that list. Don't count out the Phillies. You know, uh, Cubs are going to be a better team, uh, but the Phillies have a lot of firepower. Uh, so I think that in the NL right now, if you had to, if I had to give you an answer, it would be the Dodgers. Uh, American League is going to be tough because I think it's going to be a team out of the American League East right now. Yeah, Blue Jays, that, I think. Probably. Yeah, that's a great that's a great selection because boy did they improve and uh, and only Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can only get better. Yeah. <laughs> and um I think the team that I find interesting, uh I don't know if they are there yet, is the Angels. Can you imagine Mike Trout and Shohei Otani both healthy? and playing 150 or more games in a season, that's going to be a fun team to watch if those two are healthy. But I, I think team-wise right now, it might come out of the American League East. 
just because I, that's why I feel it feel it right now. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. That's why we're going to watch the games. That's why we're going to have fun. And that's why we're going to have these conversations all season. Even Aaron Judge, again, not being healthy, but that can put the Yankees over the top. You mentioned Mike Trout. He hasn't been healthy in so long. Him being healthy. I mean, we haven't seen a good season from him in two or three years. And he's so high paid. He's one of the most explosive and most entertaining baseball players to watch. And he's still ranked top 10. He hasn't played a, like an actual season in three or four years. Well, think of this from Mike Trout, guys. When he's healthy, he, in my opinion, you know, your, your dad would notice just as well as I would. Um, I, I view him as the modern day Mickey Mantle. Okay. You know, that would be that would be my equivalent when healthy because he's just and I don't like using these adjectives a lot. He's just extraordinary. Uh, and it's really about health more than anything else. So. But the and the Angels did upgrade with pitching with Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, we we have some upgrades there. Uh, but just imagine Shohei Otani and Mike Trout both healthy playing 150 bowl games this year. That's going to be a fun team to watch. But it's probably going to be past all of our bedtimes when those games begin yeah. here on the East Coast. Yeah, <laughs> that would be my pick. Arsh, you mentioned the um, Blue Jays. My pick would be the Angels because I read something too that ain't um. It's Mike Trout's most important contract year. It's Mike Trout's most important year in general because he's coming off so many injuries. So, I mean, if everyone's healthy, Noah Syndergaard, Shohei plays like he did last year, it's that's going to be an unbeatable team, even by the Dodgers, I think. I, I look at it, you know, I th the thing with them, I also am a big Joe Madden fan. Right. I, I'm a huge yeah. Joe Madden fan because I love his organizational philosophy. I like the culture he brings. But what, we're, what we've seen time and time again, you have to have quality pitching. And, and that's what's going to win ball games. And I, I think that's what the Dodgers have. They have depth in pitching. But they also have an all-star at every position. Uh, and the funny thing with the Dodgers is if you're moving Max Muncie off of first base to go play second for Freddie Freeman, Max Muncie's a perennial all-star, like gold glove caliber first baseman. Yeah. So it just shows, and they just traded AJ Pollock. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that, and I think Mookie Betts is one of the best players in baseball, hands down. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But uh, so th I think the NL is theirs to lose. I think the AL is a little more open, uh, you know, but there's a lot of emphasis going to be happening on the, those AL East teams. And can you just imagine, I think for the, the, the Blue Jays, the dark horse will be Kevin Biggio. You know, I think he'll be a dark horse for them. And if uh, Dante Biggio, uh, uh, Bo, I'm sorry. Bo Biggio, yeah. I was going by his dad's name there for a second. Yeah. If Bo Biggio's defense can improve, yeah, that's going to be a very fun ball club to watch this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm probably for the AL. I'm going to go Blue Jays just because Vlad Guerrero Jr. might win AL MVP this year because he he was second or third last he year. He was first for most of the year, and then Shohei caught up on home runs. You know, yeah, it's so, like, I, I had actually written about that last May. Like, wow, he's he's unbelievable. But Mr. Otani was pretty good last year. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's almost at – I think he's not as good as Vlad Guerrero at hitting. He's almost at Vlad Guerrero's level. But then also for the pitching aspect – that's just what puts him over Crazy. the top because he's like one of the top pitchers in the league as well as one of the top hitters. And he does both things at the same time. And then you also have the Shohei Otani rule in the fact that if he gets removed from the bowl game as a pitcher, he can still stay in as a designated hitter. And I really like that because, you know, we, we want to see talented ball players like that. And it was, I, I like it. I like that rule a lot. I think, I think, you know, it also gives uh, Joe Madden a lot of flexibility where he's not beholden to certain things in terms of pitching and how it's going to dramatically affect his offense because uh, Shohei Otani, that ball explodes off his bat and it's a thing of beauty. Exactly. And then I'm moving away from um, not baseball in general, but just the baseball talk, because that was an incredible argument and an incredible debate. But um, you've appeared live on the MLB Network, Bloomberg, ABC, NBS, Fox, CNN. I could go on and on. I'm not going to because it's an endless list. Um, but when you're on TV, how is the content different from when you're writing? 
Wow. That, boy, I got to tell you guys, I'm really enjoying your questions. You know, this, first of all, this is the most important thing I've ever done. So uh, <laughs> uh, I, this is, this has been great. The, 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 there's a lot. So when I write a piece, I take hours upon hours and edit upon edit. And I tell this to my students all of the time when I'm working with them, you got to find out the time of day you do your, your best work, when you do your homework. And uh, I do my best work in the morning, very early in the morning. Okay. But it, it takes a while. Like, uh, like today, I'm sitting down, just jot some ideas. What do I want to write about this week? When you go on live TV, you have to be ready to go. And it's quick. Uh, you have to be prepared. Um, I, I think the big thing that I've learned is you have to read a lot. Yeah. And I think that's critically important, uh, particularly uh, you have to be a voracious reader. You got to love reading because you never know when you can pull things out. And uh, that's very important for me is to read a lot. So if a student comes in my office and says, I love baseball and, all, and is interested, I'll ask them, what are you reading? And they go, well, I'm not reading anything. I says, well, we got to change that. So for me, the big difference is with writing. I do multiple edits over and over and over again. Uh, I'll, I can sit for a couple of days with, a, with an article and constantly tweak with it. Where on live television, you go there and you might only have 30 seconds. Like for an opening of a game on the uh, ACC network, uh, we only have 15 to 30 seconds. And you got to make sure that you're properly prepared. You know what you're saying in your mind. It ties directly uh, to the ball game. But most importantly, know your audience. And, and you want to inform, educate, and entertain when you're doing it. So for me, it's a work in progress. But clearly, uh, it's about preparation. It's about reading. Uh, those are the big things for me with, with doing a broadcast, with, with writing. I could spend days on a piece, just constantly editing. If I don't like uh, an adjective, constantly changing them. So uh, I would say the process for me writing, I don't want to say it's painful because it's always enjoyable for me, but uh, I, put a lot, I put a lot of effort into it and multiple edits over multiple days where TV, it's, it's very quick, but still I, my, my big piece of advice to the two of you and, and your viewers just read as much as you can and be able to pull things out of your head as a result of being well-read on those particular topics. Where can our viewers listen to or find your work? Uh, so uh, right on my Twitter feed, I put all my Forbes articles up there at WMcDon25 on Twitter. So, so there'll be another one up there this week, uh, probably for opening day. Uh, so I write five articles a month for Forbes, uh, and uh, I'll be doing a, a, a quite a few ball games in the month of April for the ACC Network. Uh, so you know, calling games there, but also you know, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, just putting some stuff up there. Uh, usually, it's all it's all business and sports. Uh, so you can know it's oh it's PG. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I always make sure that readers and fans of all ages can read my stuff. Uh, so uh, really, it's just all sports. Uh, and that's the best area. So I'll always put my, my Forbes articles up there. My yes, it went, when the season begins, hopefully I will continue to write for the Yes Network. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll be up there. And then if there's any video clips or anything, I'll, I'll put that up either on LinkedIn or also on Twitter. So that, that's probably the best place that you can get my stuff. Okay. And then we can't leave with it without asking you this. From your perspective, what's the best or the most important or most interesting article you've ever written? Oh, wow. Fantastic questions, guys. I, I think it's probably, hmm. I'm, oh, I'm still looking to write that. Okay. To, to be really honest with you, I, I think every time I write something, I know I have to improve. Uh, I, I, I have not had that yet. Even every time, like I'm relatively new calling, you know, color commentary on ball games. I've, I've been on TV. I've done TV for a very long time. But every time you walk away from an article, every time you walk away from doing something, I take notes and my notes are how can I get better? What can I improve upon? So 
to properly answer your question, I haven't done it yet. And I, I have a lot of work to do in both areas uh, to get there. And hopefully someday I will. But I think my ultimate goal is to have my own baseball book. You know, there's a lot of topics I'm very passionate about. I've taken a lot of notes on and everything. But I would, I think I would love to really dive deeply into something and really focus on something for a, a you know, a, a strong period of time. Like I've done textbook chapters and everything, but maybe commit a year to just working on it. So to properly answer your question, I haven't done it yet. Okay, <laughs> and I'm hoping someday that I can in both areas, both on television and in print and in media. Okay. And that's a great answer. And whenever that book comes out, make sure you let us know. We'll be the first two to read it. So well, we're, we're so interested in baseball. So whenever that book comes out, I mean, trust us, we'll, we'll buy it. We'll read it the same day we get it. Well, I, I think for me, it's like, I would, that's something, that's a passion project that I would like to do someday. Uh, I love teaching. I love working with students. I'm very blessed to work with amazing student athletes at the University of North Carolina. I'm very honored to be there, but I definitely on my bucket list is definitely the next thing is to throw myself into a project like that. Uh, I've, like I said, I've done research papers and all that, but you know, there's something to be said about going into a Barnes Noble and seeing a book that you worked hard on on the bookshelf. And and I've been part of, you know, books at, in Barnes Noble, but not with my name on the cover. So that's the dream someday. And with that, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, have a great rest of your week. And hopefully the Yankees do well this season. I mean, all three of us want the Yankees to just go nuclear this season. Hopefully this is the year they win a World Series. Well, I've had the honor of being here with you guys today. This has been my honor and my pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And I hope that you can have what I had in my life uh, was seeing the Yankees win a World Series and most importantly, enjoying it. So I, I wish the both of you the best as well. And thank you so much. It's been my honor to be with you today. Thank you thank so you much so for much. joining us for your insight. My pleasure, guys. Okay.